I'm Tobin Heath, two-time World Cup winner. And I'm Kristen Press, two-time World Cup winner. And this is The Recap Show. This is the first time we'll be watching the World Cup in over a decade. We know we're not alone with how we feel about the way people talk about women's sports. We want to be part of the solution. Having been there many times before ourselves, Tobin and I are going to bring to you what it's like to play in a World Cup, what's really happening behind the scenes, all the good juicy bits. The Recap Show will bring you gal culture at its finest. We all know what bro culture is, but what is gal culture? We're here to define it. This is our narrative, our culture, and we get to tell it our way. Welcome to the recap. Welcome to the show. LFG. Welcome to the recap show. This is so exciting. This is our first show. This is the preview episode. We'll kind of go through what the show is going to be all about, but this is how we start. We start with the sports. So this week is the first week of the World Cup. Yay. 32 teams have qualified, eight groups have been formed. The top two teams from each group will advance to the round of 16. That's just how it goes. And take it from me, there's no one way to win a World Cup. Now, let's get into the show. Today, Kristen and I are joined by our coach, Jill Ellis. But first, Tobin's top things. The first time thing. This is my first time creating, producing, and hosting a show. This is also eight countries' first time qualifying for the World Cup. Let's hope this show goes better than their likely results. In all seriousness, we are welcoming Haiti, Republic of Ireland, Morocco, Panama, Philippines, Portugal, Vietnam, and Zambia to the World Cup. And we couldn't be more proud to celebrate them as they take on the World Cup for the first time. One team in particular I'll be keeping my eye out for is Zambia, who just thrillingly upset world number two Germany in the last preparation game going into the tournament. The missing player thing. No, we aren't literally talking about a missing player, but rather a whole group of them. Unfortunately, we won't be able to witness some of the best and most entertaining players in the world due to injuries, and more specifically, ACL injuries. I've seen firsthand just how devastating it can be to have a World Cup dream deferred by an ACL tear. And this past year, the world's best have been plagued by them. Some players have made it back in time, like an Alexia Putalis. But we will still be missing the likes of a Beth Mead, Leah Williamson, Viv Miedema, Mary Antoinette Cototo, Delphine Cascarino. These are some big, big time players for their teams, plus many more. For the US, we're missing Kat Macario and our very own Kristen Press. And now that I think about it, most of these players are my friends, which it's a little weird, maybe some bad juju there. The not so obvious, obvious thing. One of the best teams in the world is going to win the World Cup. I know, crazy. Contrary to popular belief, this is not a tournament of fairy tales. There is no March Madness. This is not Leicester City. This is a tournament of history and power. The top six most invested in, scratch that, sorry. I mean the top six ranked teams going into the tournament are USA, Germany, Sweden, England, France, and Spain. In my opinion, one of them will win it. The sellout thing. The news was that Australia's opening game was moved from Sydney Football Stadium that holds 45,000 people to Stadium Australia Stadium that holds 83,500 people. That's a lot bigger. And then they sold it out. But the news should have been, why in the world are we continuing to underestimate women's sports? Maybe the organizing committee hasn't been following the market trends as we're selling out the biggest stadiums in the world week in and week out. This is not an issue about the popularity of the women's game, but perhaps rather the management of it. And last time I checked, there were mostly suits in those rooms and men in those suits. The questionable thing. Which US players are nursing injuries going into the first game? Of course, Vlatko has assured us all of his players are good to go. But the send-off game certainly didn't give us fans much confidence. Question marks certainly remain on Rose Lavelle, Kelly O'Hara, Megan Rapinoe, Alex Morgan, and Julie Ertz. Everybody is concerned about whether or not these players will be on the pitch or for even how long. But I'm thinking like, how do these players feel? Because I know how it feels. I went into the Tokyo Olympics as questionable and from the outside was like, tasked to play a major role. And all I can say is you can't buy the value of preparation. How long does it take for a player to find World Cup caliber form coming back from an injury? We're about to find out. The fight for your value thing. In 2019, you all know that the US Women's National Team played for a lot more than the trophy. With every goal, with every game, we played to win respect, pay equity, 
and for the future of our sport. Now we are seeing the effects ripple throughout the globe as teams bravely speak out about the injustices they are experiencing and carry the fight forward. So now you just heard my top things, but let's bring in Kristen for the daily debate. Tobin and I are extremely competitive people, so we thought it would be fun to add in an element of competition on the show, and we are going to go head-to-head -head on a daily debate. We are going to be debating whether or not it is harder to start or come off the bench. Well, I think it's a million times easier to start a game. Tell me why. You're more prepared. I think, like, you know exactly your routine. Like even if you talk about like how you prepare, like you know you're gonna be starting, you know how you wanna fuel your body for the game, you can psychologically prepare, you know who your teammates are gonna be, who you're gonna be playing with, you know that you're starting the game every single time, it's zero, zero, you're going out to win a game. That would be really lovely if the game of football was that predictable. If you could prepare it is when you start. and you knew who was playing next to you and there was no chance that anyone would go down in the warm up. <laughs> there would be no chance that the other team couldn't come out in a different formation yeah. and everything was just steady Eddie. That is not the game that I play. No, it's, it's so much harder to be a substitute. I've been in both positions and I will say that you have to be like prepared to take on whatever role is needed from the team. And you are emotionally and also physically playing the game while you're watching it. Like there's nothing harder than knowing that you are going to be a game changer. Like there's, there's, you know, those game changers that like actually won't see the field, but knowing that you are that player that's like first off the bench, especially as an attacker, you don't know if you, the team's gonna need a goal. You don't know if the team's, if you're gonna be defending for your life. You don't know if there's gonna have been a red card. Like you are emotionally kind of like playing out the game, physically literally warming up all the time. You seem like, to be describing my most common <laughs> role and position here. And you're saying that it's easy. Yeah, I'm saying it's easier. I'm saying it's easier, not easy. Let's be clear. Yeah, neither. It is, no, there is no role here that is easy. It is easier because when you come on as a game changer, you have a very, very clear role and expectation on what you need to do. So if you're defending a lead, if you are um, down and trying to you know, score, if you are going to have certain role in, in set pieces, yada, yada. When you start a game, you have all of your expectations of how you want that game to go. You want to be the goal scorer. You want to do this. You want to do that. And like the reality is, you almost never get what you want. Yeah. It's it almost always goes awry. When I came in in big games and I did my job, I felt valued. I felt seen, and I felt like I knew exactly how to execute on a very specific task. The whole world of football gets condensed down into 10 minutes of a performance, and you do your freaking job, and you could do anything for 10 minutes. You could do anything in the world for the limited position that you have, and you have to, in order to do it well, you have to let go of all your expectations. You cannot be about me. Like, it's not me, me, me. Yeah. And as a starting player, you're managing your ego the whole game, no, especially no, as goal scorer. No, but I feel like as a starting player like you're getting everybody's best version of themselves like you're getting everybody's what tank game full. do you play no. where everybody comes out as the best version of no, themselves i'm talking about like physically like speaking you're getting everybody's like most energized selves i know like when i've come into games what like i've been injured? almost frustrated at like the part like where you're like oh like everybody's kind of like dead and now i have to like be no, this like then you get to shine you're the only one with gas in the tank <laughs> I mean, I'm glad you're so pumped about it, but like, I really think that it's a really challenging position being a game changer, which is what we call substitutes, because like, there's just so many more nuanced factors to it. But I will say from the expectations, I will concede from the expectations point of starting, like, there's more disappointment, I think there's more disappointment that can come out from a starting performance than from a game-changing performance. I think game Nowhere changers. To go but, up. but I will say, we haven't talked about this factor, and this is when I'm about to win the debate. Uh -oh. Right here. Uh oh. Is everyone nervous? Is game changers <laughs> will have to take penalty kicks in this tournament? In the biggest tournaments in World Cups, the game Ooh. changers are the ones that will be on the field for extra time and for penalties. So it's actually quite interesting. Is that like you actually lose your best players, especially your best attacking players which are your starters, 
for the moments in the game that could be the most decisive. So you're saying it's easy to do that. It is. It's such a breathtaking well, penalty. I mean, you did, you did <laughs> score your last penalty in a world championship, so well, maybe it is easy for you. We're going to let everyone what? else decide. Yeah. You Who all decide. Debate. Tobin actually cares whether or not it's easier if you're a starter or a sub. I just care who won. <laughs>Excited for our first guest. Obviously, this is very new. We couldn't have set the bar higher, Jill said. Um, and already we're kind of falling into coach and player dynamics. And I'm supposed to be the boss here, but somehow Jill is telling me what to do. She's like, stay wide. I'm like, no, I'm sitting, I'm sitting in this seat. Um, but we're really lucky to have Jill. And I know that uh, Kristen's about to make her super uncomfortable by talking about all the amazing things that she's achieved. And she's going to have to suck it up because... Things have changed. This is our show. This is our show. <laughs> Jill, you're the boss. So welcome, Jill. Um, you have an incredibly long bio, so sit tight. Jillian <laughs> Ann Ellis is president of the San Diego Wave of the NWSL and part of FIFA's technical advisory group. She created the Jill Ellis Scholarship Fund to double, double the number of elite professional female coaches. She's won two Olympic gold medals as an assistant coach in 2008 and 2012, and two FIFA Women World Cups as head coach in 2015 and 2019, becoming the second coach ever to win consecutive World Cups. She was 2015 and 2019 FIFA Women's World Coach of the Year. She was named to the Virginia DC Hall of Fame, the William and Mary Athletic Hall of Fame, and the National Soccer Hall of Fame. It's a lot of Hall of Fame. Her, her US soccer record is 106 wins, 19 ties, and seven losses, which is actually really incredible. Too many losses. Too many losses. <laughs> And maybe the most impressive thing about her illustrious resume is that her college roommates voted her the least likely to do anything. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> to ever be in a spotlight, yeah. Well, sure. to those college roommates, you, you were wrong. <laughs> Thankfully, yeah. Thank you for, for being our first guest. We're really excited. We're going to riff through this because this is probably going to be our best interview because it's going to be so raw. Um, and we say in camp... Like, we spend more time together than we do with our own families, which for is sure. kind of weird. So I saw you recently for the first time in a really long time. And when I saw you, it was, like, like almost like coming home. Um, and it was, like, kind of emotional. I probably get emotional, but it was kind of emotional for me. And I told I told Chris and I was, like, it was just, like, such a cool moment. Um, and it, it was, like... A lot, but anyways, okay. Uh, more serious. I wish there was water because supposedly when you're supposed to, when you're crying, you should drink water. It helps. You're gonna start crying. No, before I'm you not, asked the first I'm question. Not crying. <laughs> okay. This wait, is going poorly. Anyways, um, this is all gonna be cut, obviously. Um, but so, so, so we're uh, we decided that we are going to start off every interview with this question because I think it's a great place right, to start. Um, <laughs> But what was your first introduction to the U.S. women's national team? Is there a story? Um, it was in Florida. They were in training camp. April Heinrichs, I think, was an assistant. Tony DiCicco was the head coach. Okay. And I remember I was just like this little lost puppy. Like I was just literally hanging out by the sideline. And I, I just remember watching. It was like Mia Hamm, Fowdy, all those players. You were a coach at the time. No, at this very beginning I wasn't. I mean, I was coaching, yes, yeah. but I wasn't working with the federation. Okay. But I just got the privilege of coming in to watch a training session. Session, I was like, holy, can we swear? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, because it was just so combative, such a high tempo. And, you know, when you see it through a coach's lens, you're like, yeah, I want my training sessions to look like that. So yeah. it was just this up close and personal. I always say to people, you've got to see this team, not from the stands, yeah. but at training to really understand mm -hmm. them. And so that was kind of my first impression. And I remember sitting in the stands in 96 when they won. Um, the Olympic gold medal. And I was like, man, I want to do that someday. Wow, that's so cool. You know, like everybody's practicing everywhere, but right. what is it about the U.S. Women's Nash team that creates these like insatiable like dogs, like these rabid dogs yeah. that like are just like fighting for greatness? I mean, I do think, you know, some of the early, the early players in that environment, um, you know, and I played against, when I played against Michelle Akers and April Harris, 
so I mean they'll rip your jugular out. I mean <laughs> yeah. like they are they're so competitive and so intense that I think they the 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 origins of this program were set by very high. But then I also think that's our job as custodians, as coaches, to continue to facilitate how that competitiveness runs through every generation. But you come in there, you're elite to get in there, but to yeah. stay in there, you've got to be freaking every yeah. minute of every day of every decision. Yeah. you got to be on it. There's no margin. And, you know, I think it's, yeah, I mean, probably everyone needed a sports psychologist in that environment, <laughs> yeah. to be fair, right? It, I mean, it was just, to your point, it was dog eat dog. But, yeah. but I think it just makes the product when you go out and you play against an opponent so good. Yeah. Um, but it is, it's, it's just... I mean, such a high tempo. Within U.S. Soccer, you coach the youth. You were assistant coach on a lot of, like, winning teams. Yeah. So, like, you were deeply ingrained with the values of the U.S. Women's National Team. What was it like, though, when that responsibility of, like, being a head coach was bestowed upon you as you being the central figure that now was going to take that responsibility? I mean, I think I was. I was I was incredibly well schooled in the environment, you know, watching and getting to watch different coaches. You know, I watched Pia, I watched April, yeah. different coaches with different styles. So I understood the culture of the women's national team and the standards. Um, yeah, I'm not someone who naturally wants to stand in the in the spotlight. It's just, you know, I think coaching is that you kind of step in. Your job is to help facilitate others, right? Um, so I remember when Dan Flynn called me and said, you know, are you going to apply for this thing? And I was like... <laughs> Listen, I said, you know, because because I almost knew too much, right? Because I'd been in there totally. for so much. Yeah. And I what said, what did you know? <laughs> well, just uh, tough crowd, right? <laughs> Freaking tough crowd. Um, you know, chew people up, spit people out. Um, so I just, I, you know, obviously I knew, I knew the environment, um, knew the level, and knew the expectation. And um, I remember telling Dan, I said, listen, I will, um, I will apply, and but I will also give you two names. Of people and if I go through the process and I stand tall and I'm your selection great if I don't these are two incredible people oh, awesome. so as I was Who going are the two people? Uh, <laughs> I think <laughs> well, really well one was for sure Tony because him and I be in assistance with Pia yes, yeah so one was Tony and the funny thing was we both interviewed the same day in Newark Airport and ran into each other Ooh, it wasn't awkward. planned by US <laughs> I don't remember. Was that were. like a head nod? Like, how'd it go? <laughs> no, no. I mean, I'll tell you about that conversation. But anyway, so I just, I literally, I was like, so as I was doing my, my presentation for the interview, yeah. I was like, oh man, I really want this freaking job. Because Why? I just, because as, you know, initially I did the basic SWOT analysis and I've, I, I felt like there was no one that knew this team better than I did and knew the expectations. Yeah. So when I looked at strengths, when I looked at weaknesses, when I looked at opportunities, um, I mean, the reality is I was taking over a team that's ranked number one in the world. So you gotta figure out how to make what's all really, really good, really better, yeah. right? And so I took this, um, I read about this guy, sorry, this is a long story, you can edit it later. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> wait, wait, we got all of that capability. Uh, I took this, um, this guy from England who was running British Cycling. He had this um, philosophy, it's called aggregation of marginal gains. And what he did is, because we're not marginal gonna get, yeah. we're not gonna get 50% better, because we're already the best in the world, yeah. right? But how can we incrementally increase different things in our performance to nudge it on? Yeah. So I looked at everything from sleep, travel. I looked back to who we played in games leading up to other tournaments. I yeah. looked at every single environment, coaches, staff, that could affect our environment. If I could nudge each of those on 1%, the aggregate of that will push us on. Yeah. So that was kind of my idea of kind of taking this team. But yeah, I knew the expectation. I mean, yeah. you know, Sunil was a president, was very clear. I do not like silver. Mm -hmm. Got it. Mm -hmm. you know? I actually think that that is how I remember you as a coach, as like the person that was thinking about the scenario that was like maybe 1% gonna happen, but being prepared for that. Yeah. And I actually remember you instilled that in us, like marginal gains. Like that was yep. something I was that just thinking, where did we get that? We oh. say it all the time. Yeah, and really? Yeah, because <laughs> it was you and Don, like mm -hmm. saying like, oh, you hydrate, marginal gain. Yep. Like, can you push? And you always had, um, you always had a visual for every world championship was some sort of like road map. that led oh, to the, the trophy. Yeah. It was like a super <laughs> <seat. laughs> <laughs> like, Who do you wanna be, you know? Yeah. 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 And it was just about um, do what you got to do. And I think like the cool part is that because you cared so much 
and you thought of all of what I thought at the time were like the crazy things. Like, yep. like we have so many examples of the crazy things you did. Love Let the me crazy hear. things. <laughs> Love the crazy things. That, but we'll it, get it, into them. But it, it instilled in us the importance and the weight of every action that we had. That's right. And I think that that was really cool. That's a really good summary. Right yeah, there. and I actually think from like the marginal gains perspective, I think you brought in people that shared that same philosophy. You mentioned Don Scott like her attention to detail and actually like her dedication to the research to really figuring out you know how to accomplish those one percent gains yep. and then tony from like yep. the set, technical tactical side talk about a crazy <laughs> yeah. like freaking detail. marginal <laughs> to detail. detail um and really like it instilled it in us and like i actually think that kristen within her own kind of training in the way that you know she is like obsessed with finishing like to the degree of marginal gains the way that she mm -hmm. finishes the way that she trains which was actually really unique to me as a as a player because i came from this like more philosophy of like you know <laughs> you, just, you just you just feel like yeah. you feel and you play um and i obviously love to train but from kristen's perspective that like really resonated with like those tiny tiny details yeah. um so kind of like that whole ecosystem really yeah, bought true. into it because you have to be bought into it right yeah, yeah for sure. i mean it's the u.s women's team it's like you made a great point it's not kristen wrote about this a long time ago it's not a place that you stay like every day you have to Rent fight it. For, rented space. It's rented space. Yep. Until I, I, I say a shooting star experience. You say rented space. <laughs> well, no, Jill, same, same. Jill, Jill also said you get chewed up and spit out. Yeah. And, 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 and we get that part too. Like yeah. I feel like we were being chewed for a while, but, but eventually, yeah. you know, you get spit out. Um, and speaking of spit out, uh, we um, we all are going into our first World Cup. Yeah. Um, as spectators, which is really weird yeah. in a long time in in a long yeah. time yeah like I, time. I actually said somebody asked me like oh this is the first time that you're not preparing for a world cup like how does that feel like in like however many years and then I realized like this is my first time since I was like four years old that I haven't been preparing for a world cup because yeah. like the first time I kicked a soccer ball and a goal mm -hmm. I was like I want the world cup right that's <laughs> yeah. like what every kid does dream about, yeah. um, so like obviously this is something that we're all doing for the first time but I'd love to hear like from your perspective like how it feels like weird. watching weird <laughs> I mean it does you know I mean I'm you know and I'm freaking getting on YouTube to try and find the France Australia game you yeah. know because you know I was texting with Tony and you know I said oh Tony magic shows up right and yeah because you know part of it that brain that itch you can't scratch now is is wanting to see what other teams are doing how the games evolve you know what is what is that part and you know I it sucks it, it, I, you know, being on the pitch or on the sideline actually is like less pressure in many ways than sitting outside of it, oh my gosh, looking yeah. at it, you know, and so it's just, it feels different. It feels odd to not be, <laughs> you know, away from my family for 150 days. Um, but yeah, you know, I, and, but now as a fan and someone who's trying to really continue to grow our sport, I'm, I'm really excited about it because I, I do think every iteration gets better. You were Pia's favorite ever. <laughs> oh my gosh! It was like, do you think we should have Tobin? No, let it's Tobin. And we actually, I don't know if you know this. We actually called you Tobin Sundhaga. No. Oh, oh yeah. my God! This is the tea. We, <laughs> Jill's bringing the tea. We, we would be like, ah, oh, Tobin Sundhaga. <laughs> she, she'll be starting. Oh, um, this is definitely behind the scenes. Yes, actually, we would call yeah. you that. And, wow. Um, yeah, and Abby, dear Abby, and she was she always used to say, dear Abby, dear Abby, dear Abby. And, and then I would be like, Abby, probably, um, you know, we probably need to push her along in a fitness. She just gets minutes. Dear she Abby. plays, and I'm like, she gets ninety minutes to just get fit. <laughs> Bless you, Abby. Um, you showed up in the big moments. Um, but yeah, no, no, you were the chosen one for sure. I feel like, in a way, like there's cheat codes in life, right? And like, okay. um, so when we talk about like how successful we've been fortunate to be in. And obviously I think 15 was a lot different than 19. You took over 15 and yeah. you had a quick turnaround. And like, honestly, yeah. the approach to like that tournament even yeah. felt like that, you it know, it random. felt like we were like building the plane and flying it Strap at in. the same yeah. time, <laughs> That's right. you know, like yeah. and we were all just like in that chaos, but 19 felt very different. It felt like much oh, you yeah. had a long runway we yeah. had like so much preparation yes. and and honestly four years 
is really truncated. Like when you yeah. get down to it, and I think knowing the environment, you realize it's not as much time as you think. Not much time on the pitch at all. Really, at all. When you boil it down. Yeah. yeah. And I think that like when I look at the process and the preparation, it's hard not to bring our lens of like knowing what worked. Right. How do you like when you see like how the preparation <laughs> has gone, like maybe like selections, decisions, and like I always talk about like decisions start like years ago, right? Mm -hmm. Like how do you feel about that like as as a coach, as being like the person that made those decisions? I mean, uh, you're absolutely right. In 2015, it was like, I just, and I, w I wasn't a fan of the 4-4-2, but I'm like, I don't really touch it because yeah. everybody knew their role and da da da. And I remember we were playing Australia in the first game and we were getting run over in the midfield. I don't remember. Oh, <laughs> do we pitch. remember <laughs> getting run over against Australia? And it was just yes, like, we they do. were just like coming through the midfield. I remember, t I remember turning to Tony, I'm like, we we're going to play a free in the middle at some point. Yeah, because it was just like, holy shit. Um, so you're absolutely right. And then to your point, then, you know, I really think. And obviously the Olympics, which we don't talk about a lot, but yeah. the Olympics was such a, a valuable experience for me as a coach because it really made me see this is where everybody's trending. This We need more profiles of players, respectfully similar to you, that can operate in a poster stamp, right? Yeah. Because because good teams were taking away space. The game is about you know space move, manipulation. Yeah. And so I think in my decision-making, I remember having seen Rose at the Under-20 World Cup. Me too. And I remember going, damn, that kid, Mal, you know, damn, that kid is good. And I, I remember being like, that's the type of player we need to bring to our arsenal centrally. We yeah. had good, good, you know, wide up front. We needed something special in the middle. Yeah. And so those decisions of finding those players was really based on what do I think we're going to need? What tools are we going to need? Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you remember, we talked about super factors. We spent hours as coaches yeah. thinking, what is, what do we need to win? What players do we need to be on there? And to your point. I don't think 2019 we left anything to chance. Nothing. It was, I'd seen it in 15 when we'd lost it, lost on a, a set piece, and I was like, "That's not going to happen." We're going, you know. So all the it's it's all about lessons you learn. Yeah. And so then it was just like this idea of like, "Holy shit, we have to prepare this team." I mean, even to the point of, we would sit 30 minutes and talk about our lineup, our changes, because, and I don't know, it probably happened to one of you, but you know, I remember one day sitting there as a coach, and I had someone kid ready to go in. I'm like, "Hang on." I'm like, hang on a minute, just sit there, you know, and as a player, you're like, fuck, what's going <laughs> oh, on? Oh, yeah, you are. Right? And I'm just like, you know, I'm watching the game, and I'm trying to make a decision, I'm like, hang on. And then I remember this poor player was, I don't know who it was, like on a yo-yo string, right? It's probably me. yo-yo <laughs> string. It was probably, probably me. And, and I remember after the game, getting the coaches together, because that's the thing, is you've got to learn from every moment. And I remember saying, we can't do that, we can't do that. And so we actually had emotionless decisions on who would go in, what we needed, what is the game, are we chasing the game, are we closing out a game. Everything was almost scripted in a way. Yeah. I can't say there were many moments in that World Cup that weren't. Yeah. Other than, you know, the before the semi, I Kelly O'Hara and Rose, you know it's a bad thing when the doctors are freaking walking over to you and I was like, oh fuck. And they come over and they were just like both of them were potentially out for the game. So I either play them, we, we scrub them, or if I take them out, we can't sub them later. That was the only moment where I was like, okay, I'd have to make a hard decision. Here. Yeah. You're like, wow, this is the only moment I haven't prepared for. <laughs> yep. Yep. Pretty much. I mean, pretty much. No, it felt like that. Like we, we talk about all the time, like the small things. I remember um, we won like training camp. We had, um, we went into a stadium. You and Tony had brought in the specific World Cup nets, replica, you, goals. replica goals of the World Cup, the exact ones when we were training penalty kicks, you guys <laughs> blasted music, yep. music, not just music. I'm, I'm it, was pretty French, sure it was French, 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 music. <laughs> French it was. fans yeah. in a stadium, blasted it to the point where I couldn't hear myself breathing, which directly <laughs> replicated our quarterfinal matchup. Honestly, the loudest game I've ever played Same. in. Yeah. Um, and those tiny tiny things like there was never a time that I woke up and I I saw the coaching staff the the whole staff that I woke up and I knew that I couldn't give my all because everybody else was giving their absolute yeah. all I think the way I remember the World Cup is everybody waking up and their eyes were like falling out of their head. Like all of the coaching staff was like pulling out their hair and I'm like, oh, what have so, you been doing all <laughs> So here's more, here's more tea. There were three things that really kept us going in that, okay. that World Cup. 
pizza, ice cream, and Prosecco. <laughs> Me, Ooh. Tony, and Graham, guess who had what? Guess who wanted what? It, like, Tony, two in the coffee, morning. Fika. No, no, she said Prosecco. Pizza. Prosecco. Prosecco. Tony with the Prosecco. Boom. No. That's <laughs> why he looked the worst. No, he wasn't we drinking that much. We were like, oh, oh God, he looks crazy. No, no, it was literally, we shared it. It was not that. <laughs> Graham was the pizza, I was the ice cream. And, and, and Molly, cream. Molly was brilliant. Like, we'd be like, Molly two, was in, two in the morning. <laughs> can we get it off? Yeah, can we get this? And she's like, holy shit. But hey, she pulled it out. But yeah, no. But you know, you're right, because I, this is what I, I remember. I remember as a, I always remember as a player even, like I remember my coach on the sideline when we were, when we were ahead, they're up and in the game, when we we're behind, they sat down and pouted. Yeah. And I always remember like consistency of emotion, it was important, I thought. But I, I just remember thinking, you're going into an absolute maelstrom of a storm, pressure yeah. cooker, yeah. that when you're out there and you can't hear yourself think, you've got to have things that you can lean on and hold on to. And so that was where the, the details and the, they're really things that in a moment you don't almost have to think because you know it's drilled into you. Yeah. Now it's time to take a break, recover for a minute, and connect with our awesome Reink community. And there's no better partner to do that with than our friends at UFOS. So let's take some questions from the Reink community. What you got for us? This question's from Marina. What is something about being a professional athlete that surprised you? Um, okay, I think what surprised me, um, the entire time that I have been playing, I always felt like I was at the bottom, you know, like I was never where I wanted to be. I always felt like I had failed or lost or missed and that everyone was looking at me. And honestly, being injured for the last year and like having an opportunity to breathe and look at what I've done so far in my career, I am surprised at how awesome I am. <laughs> you, you are awesome. But I mean, but really, it feels like with a little perspective, I'm like, wow, I endured a lot. I've scored a lot, I've played a lot, and it wasn't as terrible as I thought. This question comes from Mia. Is there anything you tell yourself to keep your spirits up during a recovery period? I recently found out that um, I have a personality that really like reframes things quickly. So for some reason, like I don't think I've ever seen a time when I think most people would have um, been like, oh, that must have been so hard like not as an opportunity, an opportunity to learn something new, to do something new. Um, I'm very good at reframing things. I actually think it's my superpower. I can't believe you brought up your Enneagram already. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were just talking about it. We were. Okay, here's the most important question. This one's from Hami. What is your go-to karaoke song? Don't stop believing. Oh gosh, that just really upset me. Hold on to that feel. My karaoke song is Hey Ma, Cameron. <laughs> is that how you say Cameron? Yes. Anyone know? Yeah. Wait, can you do it? Hey Ma, what's up? <laughs> Let's ride. All right, we can get it on tonight. <laughs> sure can do it. <laughs> Each reimaginer whose question we answered will be receiving a pair of UFOs. Amazing. And when you get yours, make sure that you take a picture or video of you trying them on for the first time and share them with us in our Reink membership. You'll have a chance of having your story shared. Our Reink membership is a community of global reimaginers who are committed to changing the world with us. Learn more about membership online at rewebsite.com and don't forget to send us more questions for the chance to have it answered on this show. Jill, I read that in an interview you said you never wanted to be a coach, yeah. um, and it resonated with me because in a lot of ways I feel like I never had a choice to be a player, that this was a path that I was like put on um, and, and brought along, and, and now look at going like, sometimes how did I get here? Um, but I would love to hear what, what you meant when you said that and, and what your journey's been like. For sure, but let me ask you, did you regret, regret it? Absolutely not. There you go. <laughs> I mean, best journey of my life. My, I remember we moved to America. My, my father was a coach, and I remember people in school asking me, well, you know, what does your dad do? And I was almost embarrassed to say a coach because it wasn't yeah. really a profession. Everyone's a doctor, a lawyer, a banker. And I just, there was never a future in coaching um, for women. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I, le I never played football, uh, organized football until I moved to the States. But um, it was just never a career path. It was never something I dreamed about doing. Mm. So... I never thought I would do it and almost fought to do it, but 
you know, every summer I worked every summer for my father and literally in front of 250 people, he'd be like, all right, take the principles of attack today. And you'd get these kids. And I, you know, and I just, <laughs> I, it's almost like, you know, probably f you feel the same way, Kristen. It's like you almost step into something you're not. Mm -hmm. You put on this mantle and you kind of, an entertainer show, but whatever, and you do it. And then you step back to who you kind of, you really are. Yeah. And so I found myself constantly sort of stepping into that. And then the more I stepped into it, the more comfortable it became. But I think that's probably, um, yeah, I never had any intentions. You know, I was, I enjoyed school. I, education was important to me. I thought I was going to go take a different route, but um, I think it's helped me immensely in terms of, you know, developing and evolving as a person. And when you step into it and then you go back to yourself, you're changed. Yes. And that's what happened yes. to me. It's like, I was like doing this thing that I had to do. I think we just talked about mm -hmm. this to make my parents proud. And <laughs> then I, be, I found who I actually was. Yeah. And so then when I would come back to myself, like that person was evolving and that is why I love the journey. Yep, that's a great summary. I mean, I think, you know, I, I just recently I said that, um, at the Hall of Fame, I was saying how I've just I been... your Hall of Fame? Which Hall of Fame? But no, what I, what I said in the speech was, I, there was a quote I heard and I think you would love it, is like, we're simply, um, we're simply a product of... We're a mosaic of the things that everyone we've met has carried for mm. us. So I think about all the people I've intersected my life with, and to your point, it's like you take something forward yeah. from every experience, every person, and you do evolve in, in me. And that's why I think I've been so blessed to just you know, be around incredible people. And the, the hardest lessons are also helping you evolve. So it's, you know, it's kind of, when you lost your mother, I just recently lost mine last year, and that has really been life-changing for me. Yeah. And I can't imagine you know, what you were going through during a World Cup. When I first got into coaching, my dad said to me, he gave me some, some advice. He said, first of all, he said, 50% will be with you, 50% will be against you. That's, that's just the reality percentage. of, yeah, that's just the reality of what you do because, yeah. and, and then he also said, you know, you've never been a coach until you've been fired, right? And I'm like, what, what does that mean? And what he really means is that's football. And so you can't, you know, I remember going through 16 and 17, it's like doing, you know, bringing in people, changing systems, doing things. You can't coach to keep your job. You just got to coach in what you feel is Have right. You been fired? Wow. Huh? Have you been fired? No. <laughs> You've never been a coach. Right. Probably. Yeah. You're probably right. Well, I mean, I lost seven straight NCAA championships, so oh, I'm like, that paid my. Heart well, you must have been doing something right. Well, yeah, I finally got it right, I guess. You have to make the decisions that's best for the whole, and that allows you to sleep at night. Yeah. And so it will hurt someone's feelings. It will crush someone's dreams. But I had to do what I believed was right for the whole. I remember you once told me, I would have you babysit my daughter, but I don't know if I'm going to have you play in this game. <laughs> <laughs> that yep, is that's probably truthful. Yeah, yeah. I know. And, and you didn't play me in the game. Yeah. <laughs> and I would babysit <laughs> You probably did. Um, I mean, because I love people. Like, I just, you know, yeah. that's the thing is like, inside, like, there's this big mushy softy. But what we were saying earlier, you have to step into that mantle mm -hmm. and you have to find that other piece of you that's just has to make hard, tough decisions and knowing that, you know, they want to just <laughs> rip your heart out yeah. sometimes, but you got to do what you got to do. So I think just going into that was just, you kind of prepare yourself for it. Chris and I speak a lot about the preparation for that game okay. and how nervous we were feeling going into that first game of the World Cup that we were so jacked up we were so overly prepared, that feeling of being overly prepared, right. being so excited for the game because, like, at this point, you've just trained, trained, trained for this moment. Knowing Thailand in and out as if having the most amount of respect for our, our competitor, coming out with our best team yep. to come into the tournament to make a statement, um, and then also, like, playing out the game and thinking about the tournament yep. further down as well. We talk about that moment that we felt going to that game how it was the most intense thing. And now we have that same kind of situation now with this team going into Well, you know what's game. crazy is, so you have to make that decision. Remember the Chile was next, right? Mm -hmm. And we were, we were just, you know, as a staff, we went round and round. Do we, do, we, do we rest players for the second game when you yeah. need six points to get out? Or do we play rest players and then play the, the starting group again because they need to be battle tested from Sweden to go into the knockout. They're facing, those are the moments in the World Cup is decisions like that, mm -hmm. right? Because you want to get some, some stuff back in their legs. So they've yeah. got to decide, 
do we have to, because you, you know, do they have to go bang, bang, bang with three groups of starters in the whole game? I mean, those are the things that it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. We made a decision early, like Chile, we're going to trust because we, because to yeah. your point, this is what I remember is like every single player, whether a game changer or a starter, got all the same information. Yep. And so, you know, it was, it was flawless when, you know, Pina was out, you came in. It was just flawless because everybody, I think, was afforded the same information and trust, I felt. Yeah. Um, so we knew we could play our other lineup with, with yeah, Chile. Yeah, that's, well, we were actually just talking about this. The bracket is when it's the most game of a chess for the coach because it's, you can't play the same players for seven games, right? Mm -hmm. so you, and you have to play to win right. each game and you have to play to win the tournament all yep. at the same yep. time. How did you create that feeling that we respected Thailand so much? Yeah. How did you create that feeling in preparation that we went in without ever even considering how much better that we were than them because we went in like like we were going to war and like this was the World Cup final? Yeah. I don't know if you remember, we when we went to Tottenham, we said to you guys, um, in our pre-camp, we said, we're not gonna layer in more information. I mean, we'll give you specifics about certain games, but there's no more, you're ready. I don't, I, with that message, I don't know if you remember that, we kept saying, you're ready. We're not gonna huh. show you, you remember the meeting? We're not gonna show you specific teams. We're gonna consider the World Cup opponent is what we yeah. called it. Yes. Because we yeah. didn't, because we wanted you to know that you already have every club in your bag to yeah. play every team. And so it wasn't talking about who we were playing. It was a World Cup opponent. Yes. And I think that was just yeah. the mindset of it, it didn't matter who was gonna stand in our way. And it wasn't, it wasn't really about the other team's jersey. It was literally mm -hmm. about, you know, what we had to do to execute. I think one of the things I learned early with the U.S. was even as an assistant was if you talk too much about the opponent, um, they start to go, you know, and, and they, listen, back in the day, I think the, there was a bigger gap, but then you start to plant seeds of we're not good enough. Mm. And so one of the things we decided to change was how we presented, we're kind of nerding out right now, but how we presented the yeah. tactical information was before we would talk about the opponent, we talk about, then we blended it. Yeah. Because we blend it because I wanted I to show this, this is how this is what France will pose us. Look how you've dealt with it. This is what this team, will, England, will pose us. Yeah. Look at how you've dealt with it. And so that we constantly had snapshots of you doing what you needed to do in those yeah. games to go into that game. Yeah, so. I saw that a lot. Um, going back into kind of like the decision making, like for a game like that, I think in in nineteen it was a lot clearer, like who was going to be the first team out for that game. Yep. Um, based on our preparation. When we talk about the preparation um, going into this game uh, for the U.S. Women's Nash team, you talk about kind of individual positions. In 2019, it was a little bit more clear, like, the team we were going to go out with. I think this team has a lot more question marks. Um, when you look at, like, player profiles, like, if you take Chris and I, I think we're a great example and we're sitting here. We play similar positions. We have very different styles. Um, that we how we approach the game how we play the game like when you're making a decision over a position like what are the factors that go into that so you take you take vietnam uh mm -hmm. for the u.s women's dash team we know that it's going to be alex and soph and then we have a big decision on like the mm -hmm. other side you have trinity lynn Alyssa, mm -hmm. right before i feel like when you made a decision like this is a very different decision right, right for sure and I, when I look at those player profiles, it's actually not that different of a decision, right? Is that how you would look at it or? Yes. Um, yeah. So I think you, what you boil down to is your philosophy as a coach. Like I wanted a front line that had diversity in profiles. So you, you and Pino liked your ball at your feet. Mm -hmm. You like the ball at your feet or you like the ball into space. Alex's role in there was to, was to stretch the line vertically. Yeah. So we basically don't come, because you've got to have something. If we're going to create the space for you guys to get at your feet, we've got to have something pushing. Yeah. And that's honestly the profile difference between Carly and Alex was Carly wanted the ball at her feet. Yeah. Now we've got nobody stretching the line. So now, you know, we're not opening up the space for those players underneath. So I agree. You've got to look at the profiles and, you know, sometimes what the opponent gives you. But I like the diversity of profile. If you think about our midfield, we've got the crushing ball winner in the middle. Yeah. We've had someone who probably wouldn't win a head ball, but can solve <laughs> space on a, on a dime. Yeah. And then we've got the hybrid in Sammy, who was kind of that mix. And so when I built a team, the other thing that we had conversations about, and you know, you were 80-20 initially, was we looked at a player in defending attacking. Mm -hmm. If you have 80-20s, 80% attacking, 20 
across the whole, you're never going to freaking win a game. Yeah. So we looked at that balance. We also, you know, I even looked at size. Like suddenly so I was she like. She was 80 attacking, 20 defending. Well, what was I? In the, in early the beginning. On. Yeah, oh, in the beginning. I was like, can I was 100 <laughs> No, no, no. When I first met Tobin. <laughs> okay, okay. Oh, so Tobin didn't want to get dirty when we yeah, first met yeah. her. Now she's just <laughs> yeah. smashing people. Very fault. Okay, um, no, so, but when you, when you do that math, it's like, how does that balance in yeah. terms of? So there, there are a lot of ways you can look at it. And, um, but yes, if you've got, it's going to be very interesting because you've got two players wide that are very much take on players. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you've got Alex, who for us has been playing off the line a little bit. So yes. it, it is figuring out where you want that. We we knew, and the decision whether you want maximum width high or low, mm. we wanted maximum width high to open up the space really for, for these yeah. guys. So, so what would you do? In terms of that, what mm -hmm. would I do? Um, yeah, I mean, listen, I would... I would probably play obviously Alex Central because I think that first game you <laughs> you just picked the easiest. One. <laughs> no, no, hold on, hold on. Yes, there is. Alex Central, I play Soph and I play Trinity. I think Trinity is a player that's evolving. I think she's got um, an incredible passing game that we don't see that much. She can pick out and thread balls. Um, I think you've got to have the experience. That was the one yeah. thing I remember in '15. I threw Abby on the pitch because I'm like, we needed her, yeah. just her guts and her yeah. energy and obviously her experience. Um, so that's the three, you know, I would go with uh, in terms of this, this lineup, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and then I think, like, it kind of answers a lot of decisions for you, right? Like, then you kind of, like, work Build from yep. that. Like, yep. you kind of want to, like, just create, like, a template that you feel good about Correct. that you can build from. To your point, though, like, I, I think, like, where does this team find its diversity? Because in a World Cup, you face different styles of teams. Yep. And that's why you need that flexibility, right? You've got to be able to play a certain card for a certain game. Yes, you've got to be able to pull it out. Yeah, and it's not like we're this. It's like the flexibility is important because not only to match the different styles of plays, but to match the different phases that you'll face in the tournament, whether you're up a goal, down Closing a goal, yep. like all of this, like take a player off, like all of these things, like you need an answer for. Yes. Do you, like, see there being flexibility on this team to give answers to those questions? I mean, I do. I, well, I think there's, a, there's some good game changers. You know, like, one of the things we looked at even was what's our size when we're trying when we're closing out a game. Oh, set I pieces know. Because that was a tough one for me. <laughs> yeah, because you're not exactly... <laughs> I needed to get on that field, and I wasn't going to be... needed those shoes. <laughs> and I needed those shoes. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, yeah, those are things yeah. that, you know... And, and that's where, as players, you can't... You can't put it all on yourself yeah, because you can't control it. Exactly. I actually learned that from you. I actually felt, like I would say to Tobin all the time, like, I'm not going to get on the field unless I can serve across, like in like a corner, because I'm not going to be in the box. And then if they need a goal, I need to have a role, you know? So yeah. I actually started to feel that it wasn't just who was better. It wasn't about no, who was better. It was a game plan. It was about how do you contribute to what the team needs to do but to win. You're absolutely yeah. right. I mean, listen, I, I would sign you every freaking time, every, <laughs> club, every day. I mean, you you know, like you're a remarkable player. Which one would I pick over the other? Probably you. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> I, um, can we ask guess that? Because, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because you've got so many different different things in your in your locker. I mean, Jesus. Um, but then it's kind of this like. This makes me feel so great. <laughs> well, I'm not saying. I mean, no, she doesn't mind because you play her well. every time. So <laughs> she's got that in her in, on her resume forever. Yeah. <laughs> but you know that. Yeah, there's so many elements. I think players, you know, have to look, and that's where I think, especially when you're building a club team, you can build it how you want. Yeah. yeah. A national team, you've got a certain group, exactly. and you have to build it. You know, and, and yes, and listen, we had a plethora of riches in that 19 squad. I mean, we were so deep. We don't win a World Cup without without the support of coming off the bench. So. Um, but yeah, I mean, do I think this team, I think, listen, Lynn Williams coming in, I mean, I remember Jess McDonald, one of the reasons, she's a long throw, so not only is she good in the air, I, yeah. like, there was a tool there that we didn't have, yeah. right? So yeah. when I thought about the whole, the whole makeup, if you've got similar profiles, what does one have over the other, and you think it through, but, so I think this, this team has um, certainly some, some good game changers be able to come in off the bench, I mean, whether it starts or doesn't. Um, you know, I think she's going to be a phenomenal upside to this, whether she plays in the back or plays in the midfield. So I think they've got a lot of depth um, yeah. and a lot of vehicles. Would you like. ever start, like, an Alyssa Thompson in a game like this? In the opening game? Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, listen, I in my head, again, I'm not such a control freak, but I always thought that. <laughs> what? <laughs> <When> <laughs> I don't believe you. Now or before? Well, before. <laughs> uh, maybe I was. But I used to think 30 was the number of caps. 
I used to think mm. a player that got and listen in America that's not that hard because we play so many games. Yeah, totally. So if a player's played thirty caps, I just felt they've got the experience of being in the cooker. Mm. You've got to trust how people react in the cooker, right? Yeah. And so that's that's a little bit of you is know, that just for you as a coach, or do you think it's actually for how the team also feels when people take the field? We talk about like when Abby took the field, right. like it actually alleviates so much from yes. the team. Yes. Well, I don't know. That's a question for you guys. I felt like there were players that I felt, not because they were the better player in training or whatever, but when these players were on the field, I felt stronger. Yep. And it wouldn't be, obviously, the players that people are, like, pointing out, but, like, for me, there's... There's this feeling that some players give other teams. You talk about Alex being on the field. Like, Alex being on the field gives teams... A feeling and the same thing that Abby did the same thing that Carly did like those players and then you talk about Julie being on the field like yeah. Julie her presence on the field for the rest of the team again I don't think she's had the type of preparation going into this to really like dig in and yeah. for the team to right. kind of really rally around her in the way that we have in the past but I will say her presence on the field even when her name was named to the roster. I think everybody was like, oh. oh. oh yeah. But like even now, Absolutely. like that's that in itself is a question mark. So. Pia, Pia used to say we're up one nil when we start Abby. Like other teams would go, oh crap. Yeah. And so psychologically, mm -hmm. you're sending messages as well, not yeah. just to the team, but to the other the opponents. And I I know we're like a little bit overtime, but I don't care that Billy's putting up a sign <laughs> for me to slow down because I do have a question. Like you have a box forward in Alex now, which is actually how she's like transitioned, I think, from from who she was like in the yeah. beginning of her career she's to now. Her yeah. And where Alex is actually like most successful now is like her finishing in the box. Yep. Like she's become very efficient. Yep. Um, she's great in the air. But that that's very reliant on services and Correct. good services. And I think that comes also from set pieces now too. Yes. I think when like I look at this team and we talk about question marks, we talk about like how I look at this front line and I see danger individually from every single line. player that can play in the front line. You look at their individual qualities and at any point one of these players can go off and like have like a solo goal that That's will right. be the worldie of the tournament. But when I look how each individual kind of collectively plays together in the front line, the harmony for me isn't there right. in terms of when I look at how Alex wants to score, yep. like she's reliant on, on good with. service yeah. and with. And when I see the way that the wingers want to score, like they want to dribble yep. and score. And be inverted. And be inverted. Yeah. And for me, that creates like a little bit of an imbalance. Well, I, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's why, you know, I think Alex had a great run with the national team. I mean, I, there's not better servers than, than you and Pino, right? I mean, in terms of... Yeah. And I think you evolved as a set-piece taker, for sure, for us. But I think even in 16, we didn't have Cheney and yeah. we didn't have Pino. Set-piece delivery is critical crucial critical yeah. and so that's the that's the dynamic you've got to figure out you know pino on the field gives you that but yeah. then is she going to play you know so that's where i think the um but you're absolutely right i mean i think the alex scored a lot of goals because i mean we used to train it ad nauseum you know the yeah. cutback yeah early bent yeah. diagonal <laughs> yeah. and we used to train it because because this is the one of the things Tony and I used to talk about is like we should be able to ask our players, any one of them, how do we score goals? Mm -hmm. And they should all have the same answer. Yeah. Because that's when you know a team is bought into how the team plays. Um, and yes, you still, I mean, listen, you were, you were a luxury in, yeah. in many ways because you could pull, I always say, the rabbit out of the hat, right? Because you could create something out of nothing. Yeah. But, but to win over time, um, I definitely think you've got to have structures in place and the players in the right places to be able to facilitate what you need. Yeah. And Jill, um, now every time I play for a new coach before I uh, step on the field, I ask them, how do we score? How are we going to score goals? Mm. And you know what? No one has ever answered that question better than you. Um, you know, play for uh, a lot of different people. They have a lot of different ways of approaching it. And no one's ever given me the clarity that I need in how my team scores goals after playing for you. Because wow. that was just an imprint you left on me. I think, you, have, you know, when you, you need, like I, what I loved, and I think Tony said this best, is we've got to have structure until we get to the final third, yeah. right? And, and so how we get there, because soccer is such a selfless game. And this is what I think, like, when yeah. you have players like yourself, you, that you guys can think the game, 
it, yeah, I mean, I think we put structures in in our build-up because not everybody is at the same, right? Mm -hmm. Not everybody reads it and sees it the same. So you kind of want that team concept, but down there it's where the magic happens. But I think we were fairly structured. I think it's, it's you know, what I think with this team is there's less structure. Um, and that's a coach's philosophy, meaning yeah. in build-up it's, you know, we'll see Lindsay pop out into the outside position, she'll drop down, she'll play up, you know, up the line, she'll even be higher. Yeah. So there's different, she can go sort of have that freedom, probably what you wanted. Um, but <laughs> yeah, the, now it like drives me crazy, yeah, like I'm does. so structured now, like well, it, because there's it's times about, to be. Yeah, a, yeah. Well, now I think you've got that coaching, like you, it's about manipulating space and opponent. It's not just for the sake of doing it. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, you go out and watch little kids practice every single player checks the ball yeah <laughs> that's you know that's kind of where you're like no we got to build and this is what I say I've seen it in watching games we chatted off camera earlier is I think we had such a selfless team mm -hmm. do you know when I knew we were gonna win the World Cup oh this is fun um, we talk about this it was in I think we played I can't remember which opponent it was but it was in it was earlier in 19 and you remember when we used to put up video of when we give up a goal and we would just put the small section and everybody like this. And everyone was like, oh, because they thought it was like this shaming thing. And we yeah. got to a point as a team. I remember putting up a goal and I said, what do you guys think? And we'd open the clip up. And I think Alex has sort of said, well, if I forced her outside, then she's not getting that service off. And, and I think Julia said, if I'd have read it earlier. Draw. And then I do remember this. I remember uh, um, Kelly saying to Pino, Pino, if you'd have done this, what that sends uh, is, that's trust. Yeah. When you can put up a clip and you can hold each other accountable yeah. and you recognize that your role contributes to the end product, whether you score or whether you don't score, that's a freaking team. Wow. And that's why I think one of, that was literally at that moment. I, I remember afterwards saying to Tony, did you hear that in there? I said, they got each other's backs. Wow. Because you don't get that. You know, women, I think women, I say this generally, are, have a hard time telling people what they mm -hmm. honestly think and what they should do. Yeah. I think we got a place with the team. It's like, you know, yeah. you, you, because because everyone can speak the language. The other thing, I know I'm rambling now, but we were in Tottenham and I walked through the meal room. Oh, <laughs> Tottenham. Yeah. Oh. 50 grand a day is what, yeah. <laughs> is what my boss is saying to me. But, but I remember seeing players with sugar packets moving them around. And I remember walking through because one of the things I think we did is we gave each we gave you guys a language with which you could talk about mm. the game. Mm -hmm. And now you're problem solving yourself. And now you're seeing things. Like that was, I think, another moment where I was like, man, this is awesome. Yeah. I, Tobin and I had a moment halfway through the tournament where I kind of like half whispered to her, like, do you think we're actually going <laughs> to and, and it, it was, was like, like blasphemy to say it. it. You yeah. know, like right. as soon as I said it, I like wanted to take right. it back. It was so but, vulnerable. Like, you know what I mean? Like, But I think I saw in a moment the same thing that you saw. Like the intangible yeah. thing that gets you over the edge. The, the one thing that we always talk about, like actually our whole campaign is like trailblazers um, and activists and how just by like being awesome, like we were winning both on and off the field. But like it was directly tied to our winning on the field. Yes. And then we started, you know, being able to do so much more with that. Um, and I think Kristen can really talk to this when when she said, like, oh, I I never, like, thought I would be, like, a football player. Um, but now, like, look at all that we're doing. And now you as a coach, now you as a president of an NWSL team building something, being a decision maker on a whole nother level for the game. Um, I say you can't really see everything as you're doing it. When you look back, you can. And for me personally, like having you, having like a strong woman as a coach, and, and we go back to like you soccer days, like you were an anomaly. Like there now are other women coaches that are crushing it, but like you were one of one at the time and in the hardest position and, like, I think about that now, and I have so much more, like, respect for that. And I actually understand, like, how much I learned through that process. And then, like, from you, like, being, like, an ally, a queer woman in that space. Um, and then, like, I grew up on the national team. Yeah, like, yeah. I was, you know, just a kid when I started. So, like, I really grew into the person I am now, like, through that. And to have such a positive role model and a figure that was, like, a trailblazer in what you were doing... Now I look back on that and I see it as such an instrumental part of both our lives. And like we have so many stories that like are intertwined in that. Jill, did yeah. you feel that you were criticized more as the head coach because you're a woman? Oh, for sure. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, I I see it every day in hmm. in the workplace. You know, just my peers. You know, I've been really fortunate to to make a lot of meet a lot of interesting people that are successful women outside of sport. Yeah. And it's it's the same. We're all beating the same drum. Mm. There is there is just such a more critical lens um, on women in leadership positions. Um, I don't know if it's because we're perceived as easier targets, mm. or you're perceiving you know there's you're you give off traits that maybe they don't perceive as leaders. You know mm. you're you're hard. What it, it's so yeah. I think it's 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 really unfortunate. Um, but no doubt. In your true. position, yeah. you were with us. Yep. We were fighting against U.S. soccer for equal pay. And in a lot of ways, like it felt like it was the team against everybody yeah. and it, the team against you. But I think we always knew that you were yes. on our side and you did a ton yes. of behind the scenes stuff um, that was pushing for equality. Even before we were all doing that, I felt like you were always pulling the strings in the background. Um, and pushing for more. So will you tell us a little bit about what it was like to be with us mm -hmm. while we fought for equal pay yep. and not necessarily be a player with us? Uh, it was it was an interesting space to be in because you're you know your players are suing your bosses and somehow you have to navigate right in between. Mm -hmm. I remember being on camera real quickly and someone said, "What do you think about the women?" Da, da, da. And I was on camera and I was like, "I think it's awesome. I think it's great." And I literally my phone rang within ten minutes and you know because I get a call. Because you didn't have the protection of the team. Yeah, yeah. like yeah. they couldn't yeah. wipe us all out. Right. right. Like they couldn't yeah. be like new squad. Right. <laughs> right. But, but you were in yeah. a lot of ways more isolated and more vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Well, I remember saying on camera, and I remember getting a phone call, and I actually said, you know, to my boss, I'm like, you know what, I can't draw a line in the sand here. Mm -hmm. This is my team, and this is our locker room. And we had that conversation. And then, to be fair, they respected that. Um, so then it was just, you know, it took a little bit of pressure off because everything you guys wanted, and in many ways, and I'll say this, you know, I grew up in a slightly older generation than you guys where, you know, being out was just kind of nothing and I remember watching the confidence of the women when I was in there with yeah. the women's national team like there was a shift right because before it was you know even women were kind of and then all of a sudden there was this shift and I remember learning myself being like wow if they can do this I, I, you know totally. I remember telling you a soccer put in there wife Betsy and daughter and my bio oh, wow. because oh, things that you that. just you know you just always kind of lived in the shadows in many many ways and so I remember being inspired by that and um, but yeah, I mean, listen, as passionate as you guys were about it, it was what I recognized was that you guys had a platform and I used to get asked a lot, you know, um, were you concerned about the distraction? No, mm. it was actually the closer they can live to who they naturally are, the wow. better we're going to perform. Wow. And so it was just, I just, actually I was, I said to Hive, I'm like, you know, get, get Pino out to the, the, the um, presser because she can speak, you yeah. know, with the confidence <laughs> to say these things. and. And the team also needs this. So I just was incredibly proud to be a part of that and see the women take a stand. Um, and I remember it wasn't lost on me here in Equal Pay Challenge. And I was like, holy oh, shit. Mm. Like, it was just incredible. And I actually, I think I think about it like we we absolutely don't win Equal Pay unless we win the yeah. World Cup. Yeah. And we didn't win one. We won two. <laughs> but I wonder, do we win the World Cup if we're not also fighting for Equal Pay? Because it mm. was the great motivator. Ooh, fascinating. Mm. I've been asked many times about the distraction, and I'm like, no, it was galvanizing. Yeah. It was exactly. absolutely yeah. galvanizing. Exactly. Um, we had to win the world. We had yeah, to win, and mission. you do things yeah. when you have to. And our back was so against the wall. Yep. And I that's remember, what made it fun. Uh, Mission Matters Most was kind of our thing. We were like, <laughs> everything, but there was almost parallel missions. And, yeah. and I, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Missions matter most. Well, Jill, thank you so much. Oh, um, this could go on forever. <laughs> But this yes, has been an awesome. epic, epic first. Oh, this is like, so fun. The best. No, thank you. So we like to end each show by looking forward to an upcoming match. I'm excited to watch the U.S. Women's National Team's first match against Vietnam. You know, scoring is a feeling, and if the U.S. can get their first goal within the first five minutes, the door's going to be wide open for all the goals to come. For the top goal scorers of this tournament, this is a moment that the forwards will be chomping at their bits. They can get bags and bags of goals. In 2019, we saw Alex get, I want to say, five goals in the opener against Thailand. This is a moment where a forward can really catch fire and really make a name for themselves going into the tournament. And for the U.S. Women's Ash team, they're really going to want to step on the field as their best, both mentally and physically as their best in order to get into this tournament with the right momentum and with the right mindset. We'll see if I was right in the next episode and thanks for watching.
Be sure to never miss an episode of The Recap Show by subscribing on Reink's YouTube channel today. Also, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you like to listen. For even more recap content, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And finally, check out the Reink website for exclusive merch, membership, and more. The Recap Show is a Reink original series produced in partnership with HeadGum Studios. The show is executive produced by Tobin Heath, Kristen Press, Shane Romani, and Jamie Friedman. For HeadGum Studios, The Recap Show is brought to life by supervising producer Katie Moose, showrunner Billy Scafuri, creative producer Tara Aquino, associate producer Ali Khan, director of photography Nate Cornett, video engineer and editor Rochelle Chen, production sound mixer Destiny Ferrant, makeup Stephen Molesky. Production designer, Elaine Carey. Production assistants, Lauren Stremmel and Olivia Reiner. Hair, Ramon Garcia. Stylist, Sarah Borgesi. This first season of The Recap Show wouldn't be possible without the support of our incredible sponsors, including Ufos, Ally Bank, UKG, and Tequila Comos. Thank you. Reink was founded in 2019 by USWNT champions, Kristen Press, Tobin Heath, Megan Klingenberg, and Megan Rapino with the mission of making the world a more inclusive and equitable place for all. A brand that lives at the intersection of sports, progress, and equity. We offer eco-conscious, gender-free fashion, creative goods, a membership that invites anyone to join in the pursuit of boldly reimagining our world. With the creation of The Recap Show, we are launching a new content division to change the way women are seen and experienced in sports. Thanks for tuning in.